Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. And this is yet again a Fall of X special where we delve into this week's Fall of X books from Marvel. Yes, fall, Justin. Fall into the X. Ah, that's pretty good. Say. That's beautiful. You know what? It, we'll lay down that track later. We'll roll it out as the official music to kick off this particular podcast that we're doing. Ooh, we've remix. got a bunch of titles that came out this week. We've got Uncanny Spider-Man number one by Cy Spurrier, art by Lee Garbett. Uncanny Avengers number two, written by Jerry Dugan, art by Javier Garon. Wolverine number 37, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Juan Jose Rip. Dark X-Men number two, written by Steve Fox, art by Jonas Scharf. And Alpha Flight number two, written by Ed Bryson, art by Scott Godlewski. So... We're definitely going to jump into spoilers here. If you haven't read the books, turn away. We'll give you a brief recap of the plots of any of them. But a lot of disparate things happening in the world of X here. I think, though, that we should start off with a bit of news before we get into a little news. Yes, this news. This is big news. This is big news. They, they being Marvel, revealed that at New York Comic Con, they are going to be talking about what sounds like two new titles. Not 100% sure about it. It might just be storylines in X-Men and Immortal X-Men, but we're going to get what looks like the be the end, the beginning of the end of the Krakoan age of the X-Men, starting in January, kicking off with the fall of the House of X by Jerry Dugan and Lucas Wernick, I think. And then mm-hmm. the other one is the Rise of the Powers of X or Rise of Powers of Ten, if you want to go with what it was supposed to be when it originally came out under Jonathan Hickman, and that's going to be by Kieran Gillen and R.B. Silva. So those are the teams behind X-Men and Immortal X-Men. Again, we don't know if there's storylines in there or if they're going to be their own separate titles, sort of bookending from House of X and Powers of Ten from the beginning of the Krakoan Age. Um, The other little bit that I'll say here that I think we've talked about before, or maybe we haven't on this podcast, is that we already know the X-Men line is changing hands. Tom Brevoort, who has been running Avengers for... I want to say 25 years at this point. Or I think he was there when Wasp first said that we're the Avengers. <laughs> yeah, I think I wanna, so. I guess. He is going to be taking over Avengers. He said he's not taking over until Jordan D. White, who is the current editor, finishes up the storyline that was started by Jonathan Hickman. But now, this is the last thing I'll say, and then I'll turn it over to you for your reactions, Justin, is it certainly mm-hmm. seems like we're getting the beginning of that end in January, and sometime in 2024, that's going to be over And we're going to get a fresh new start in some respects for the X-Men under Tom Brevoort. Justin, over to you. Well, if that's true, I mean, that's really interesting. The whole thing we were told uh, a long time ago is like the this the Krakoan age is a three part epic. Uh, Jonathan Hickman, the pilot, the man behind the, the mystery here drives us through. He bails out, you know, a little bit, not quite to the end of the first act. We don't know if we're in the second act, but is there now not a third act? And it seems like Hickman is not returning to bring it home. So this definitely feels like 
some pivoting is happening. Mm -hmm. You know what it feels like to continue your metaphor here is that Jonathan Hickman was driving the X-Men bucks. He jumped out halfway and Jerry Dugan and Kieran Gillen on their like duplex bike pedaling fast as they possibly can, try to Mm. catch up to that bus. And here we are next year. Can they jump onto that bus? Can they steer it to get to the school safely on time? I guess we'll find out. This is a school bus in your name? <laughs> Jeez, yeah, Alex. Yeah, Westchester, Westchester School. It's an X-Men bus. Of course it's a school. Are they going to yeah. bring it back to the school? That's the big question. I guess we'll find out. I, well, To your point, we've been talking a lot about the phalanx stuff and how that was the big Uber story that Jonathan Hickman was telling. Are they going to get back to that? I don't know. It doesn't feel like right now. And I know it feels like a lot of time, but like September to January is not a lot of time. Are they going to yeah. wrap up all the Orca stuff and then pivot back to the original story? I, I guess we'll see. I mean, September to January, for most books, that's like four issues. Right. Like, that's nothing. That's mm-hmm. one arc. So, and there's so much going on in this that, like, it feels like it needs a lot more. But here's what I would, if I were in their position and they sort of want to move on and get back to a more smaller core Gray Malkin Lane style X-Men situation, which I bet is where we're headed. I would do that, bring like fight Orcus, defeat Orcus, or somehow have a big climax of the Orcus stuff. And then take one book and have that be the Falnix, be like sort of like the way that the the cable book had cable versus mm-hmm. Bishop uh, going into the far future do that and have that be one teams or one core group of X-Men and they're having to go challenge the Falnix in the far future. Super fun, high sci-fi X-Men stuff. Make it a little weird. We've got a million writers right now in the X-Men world who are capable of getting into wild storytelling. This week especially, I feel like, is like the weird week. <laughs> it's like going up to the buffet and eating like I'll have a salad with whipped cream and minestrone soup on top. <laughs> yum, yum. That's what these books are. So I think Any you, one of them could be that book. Well, I, I think book. you've pitched this before and I'm going to pitch the thing that I've pitched before, which is I think you can get a situation where the X-Men are finally ready to fight back against Orcus or we're in this situation where Orcus is one the X-Men are on their back heels and then the phalanx comes down. And that's when mm. this whole thing blows up. And that's what we get in the House of X, Powers of X thing that's coming up in January and presumably a little bit beyond is Orcus is like, oh, oh, no, we set up a situation where the mutants are all over the place and they're lost and we need them now. We need them yeah. to save us. So that potentially I don't think we're ever going to get a situation where everybody's like, yeah, X-Men, we love you, X-Men, because that's antithetical to the concept of the whole franchise. But I could see a situation where like this current really bad situation is semi solved by the fact that they're able to save the entire world in history from phalanx when Orcus can't do that. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. And then Orcus uh, screws them over at the end, but strikes some sort of deal where they are not going to be attacking them every day. And the X-Men then are still fringed in the public. Tuesdays and Thursdays, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And that's it. We'll give you That's Monday, fine. It's like when Friday. Wolverine would die and have to fight a swordsman <laughs> and every now and again. We get into that in one of this week's books. But I, yes. I, oh, I want to throw out one other little piece of news that this is me connecting dots that 100% not, might not be there. But Rick Remender signed an exclusive with Image Comics for three years. And in the press release, this is the weirdest thing I think I've ever seen in a press release. 
of course, he was talking about like so excited to do my creator own work and support other creators, etc. But there was a thing where he's like, you know what? I recently turned down really choice gigs to write X Men and Batman. I'm not going to do that because that's against my, you know, I feel like I would not be growing. And I was like, that's weird to call it out. But I do wonder if Tom Brevoort reached out to Rick Remender mm. to be the X-Men guy going forward once he takes over because they worked together on Avengers before yeah. and they worked together on Uncanny Avengers before. So Yeah, I was going to say he'd be a good candidate, especially if they go into some of this bigger Falnick stuff because mm-hmm. he's done a ton of his creator-owned stuff that is like high sci-fi fantasy that would be really cool. The only thing with the, with your with the theory that they're, we're going to have that big battle starting in January is – is is that reset the timeline? Because Powers of X was all about so far in the future and mm-hmm. them not being able to beat the Falnicks until the end of time and then sort of losing then anyway. So it's like if we're honoring all of that stuff, how do we do both without yeah. – by ending it in, you know, there, the there's a lot year. of elements there. There's also all of the Moira McTaggart stuff that I think you need to come back to and wrap up in some way because you could still have her out there. I, I don't love the positioning of her as a villain, like half robot villain or whatever's going on there, but you can have that ongoing. She can be a character like that. But in terms of she was there at the beginning, if we're finishing this Krakoa story, it needs to be a definitive point on her and what's going on with her timeline reset abilities before we move forward into whatever's next. But yeah, we'll see. Cause Lots- it would be just one last thing on that. It would be sort of a bummer if the whole thing is like a Moira McTaggart rug pull and the timeline is reset to a whole new, more classic X-Men mm-hmm. franchise. I don't even know if they quo. can do that because her powers yeah. Didn't work that way. The implication was the entire time we have been reading my uh, Marvel comics, this is the timeline that Mario McTaggart reset. Like she didn't change. We have not been reading various iterations of the X-Men. This is what we are currently in is what we've always been reading. That's always been true. So if they kill her and reset the timeline and use her powers that way, Everything's gone. It's not like just the X-Men and like, oh, now they're back at uh, the Westchester school, etc. It's the Avengers are gone and back to basics. Spider-Man has gone and back to basics, etc., etc. I don't know how you get around that. I don't know. I think that's an easy get around. You can just be like, <laughs> oh, look, it? everything happened the same except for this thing. Yeah, all right. Fair enough. Comics. <laughs> You're like, impossible. <laughs> They'll never figure that out. Yeah, you just did. You did it. We got a bunch of titles to talk about, as we mentioned. So why don't we jump into one? This was far and away, not just for Marvel, not just from Fall of X, but I think my issue of the week. And maybe it was a case of low expectations, but Uncanny Spider-Man, I don't know why we were doing this or how we were doing this or what this was saying about stuff. But this is Nightcrawler. He was not at the Hellfire Gala, um, so he may or may not know everything that's going on, but he has a fair idea that things are pretty bad right now. And he is in New York dressed in a old Spider-Man costume in order to still be a hero. This perfectly blends Spider-Man stuff in X-Men in a way that bowled me over. I was so Uh. surprised. Agree. Like, it's really fun. I mean, it's a weird choice. Like, if we're mm-hmm. talking about the character of Nightcrawler to be like, oh, what am I doing? I've had um, a series of sort of breaks. I've done some villainy, some accidental murder, uh, started a religion based around the Krakoan experience. And now I'm going to dress up like my buddy Spider-Man and fight some small town crime or big city crimes. Like, 
that's a crazy series of situations, but it's really well done. And of all of the books, I feel like this is sort of owning the present rather than like finding a weird other nook for the fall of X and exploring that. This is like, no, I'm just going to be out in the world where all of the fall of X stuff is real. Orcus is bad and the sentiment to mutants has changed, but I'm going to play here and have some fun and find interesting stories. And that's really exciting. I think this ties in really nicely with what we were talking about last week, I believe, about Astonishing Iceman, that Mm -hmm. maybe it's these solo books almost work better than the team books, which is surprising, I think, for the X-Men franchise, where they're able to really dig into Nightcrawler and, and put him in this position where he's still trying to be a hero, even though the entire world is against him, even though Orcus is against him. Same as Iceman. Iceman, totally different situation where... He may not even exist, like we talked about. But here you get into like classic Nightcrawler stuff, where he is being yeah. a clown, jumping all over the place, being the actor. Got a sword. Got a sword, which is another classic Nightcrawler thing to happen. Like, love pirate Nightcrawler. One of my favorite things from, I yeah. think, Caliber back in the day. Swashbuckler. And, but he always has this pain inside, because he looks like a demon, and he makes jokes to kind of deflect from that a little bit. Here we get a flashback. I missed this storyline, Full Transparency, where he became a hulked-out rage demon and killed the dude and was sort of framed and forced into it by his sorcerer's mother. Um, So he's dealing with that pain, but you don't need to know any of that stuff. The book does an expert job of mixing all that in, bringing you up to speed on the Orca stuff, and at the same time, finding these really great X-Men riffs on spider-man villains like we get well yeah go ahead i was gonna say like i think we get the x-men side of it which is all that stuff you talked about we get uh wolfsbane in here really like her great to have her there but then like was that sa- wolfsbane or was that the wolf lady who looks like wolfsbane from the mutant liberation front like feral oh. or something like that oh I maybe think, that's true i think so yeah i don't uh, think that's that, wolfsbane that could be yes whatever it is uh, sorry your point the, but the the point is blending that with um, this great Spider-Man stuff of the Vulture and the reveal at the end of Silver Sable, I thought was just great, great entry points into Spider-Man stuff. Yeah, both of those things. So we get Vulture as director Vulture working for Orcus. And one of the things that I really loved about that idea is we usually get Vulture as crotchety old man flying around, stealing stuff and getting beaten the crap out of him by Spider-Man. To dive into the fact that, like, he built himself a vulture suit, so he knows science at least a little bit, and he knows how to build things. So to join up with Orcus and get this very cool, to our point earlier, phalanx-looking suit with, like, the glowing yellow and black stuff going on in Lee Garber's design, I thought was very cool. Um, I love him as somebody who's going to fight Nightcrawler. And also, like you said, the Silver Sable thing, you kind of get around a goblin glider here. So potentially you've got a little bit of riff on that. There's also these great jokes throughout the thing, just very meta wiki things where like uh, there, there's the dude that's threatening the lady in Central Park. He pulls out his knights and it makes snicked. And Nightcrawl is like, yeah. oh, a classic sound effect. Here's another one. And then he does his bamf and kicks him in the face. Super fun. So I had a blast reading this book. What a great yeah. time. Agreed. Uh, Uncanny Avengers number two. This is like we've been talking about. Jerry Dugan is one of those guys on the 
tandem bike. That's the word that I was looking for earlier. Mm. And he is he's definitely driving things here as we get this mutant liberation front team fighting against Captain America's unity team. Over the course of the issue, we get a couple more hints about Captain Krakoa's identity. We also get Captain America getting kind of a bionic arm, like putting the skin of Bucky's arm on his arm because it gets broken. Uh, and also... Yeah. The rogue and the rest of the mutants are like, eh, Cap, we're taking over this team. You got to get out of here. Cap, of course, is not giving up and uh, teams up with Ben Urich to try to go and investigate some stuff. So a lot of stuff going on here. Um, what would you think about this one, Justin? Uh, the tone of this is interesting because it they're a little bit fighty. These guys don't get along as much as a lot of the other team books where all the the, the superheroes or the X-Men uh, mostly have come together and are like, all right, we got to work together. We got to figure this out. And this, they're like, hey, I said this. And like, they're having little quibbles. So I think mm -hmm. that's interesting. Obviously, the biggest thing here is Captain America's uh, shield backpack returns, something that we'll no doubt find on uh, shelves for this holiday season and a great way to carry all of your shields around. Totally. Town. I really like the scene after Rogue and the Mutants rejected Captain America. He's like, okay, see you later. Um, and, and to be clear, the reason they reject him is like, if you die on a mission, that's going to make things even worse for the X-Men. Captain America shoots back and says, that's always the risk, but I believe that people will stand up and believe in what I was fighting for, which is a very Captain America thing to say. But the person who brings it home is Deadpool, like digging into the X-Men characters, being like, you guys always do this. Why do you always do this? You're yeah. already losing. Why are you trying to lose even more and get rid of the one guy who will help you no matter what? I thought that was great. I think Jerry yeah. Dugan, like, he got his start with Marvel and Deadpool, and he just has such a good handle on the character, giving so much nuance to him. Well, and playing against everyone, a lot of people who write Deadpool are like, he's goofy. He says jokes and kills people a lot. And I think Jerry Dugan has more of a sense of, no, he actually is really smart and sort of less he's just doing bits and more that he's saying the truthful thing, whether mm -hmm. it's funny sometimes or sometimes it is just a great point, like you're saying here. And I agree. I think Deadpool is one of the most well-used pieces um, going on here. Now, what do you think about the Captain Krakoa? Who, yeah. who are we? We've had like there are a lot of the the prevailing, the even, even monies on him being the uh, Cap clone, Hydra Cap. Yeah, we have a strike theory that we've been pushing, <laughs> which honestly, I think it could still be. Here's the thing. So but, we get it. We get the scene in here where I I forget which one is which. Andreas is girl strucker. Is that right? No, or I think Andre it's Andrea. Andrea and Andreas. So yeah. Andreas is right outside while his sister is taking a shower because they're creepy weirdos. And Captain Krakoa goes in, drops his entire costume off. And she says, oh, it's you in the shower. So in that armor's getting wet. That's going to be wet. Very yeah. rusty armor. I guess it's plant armor, so it'll just get kind of soppy and gross. Soppy. Yeah. So he takes off all of his clothes and starts making out with her with a lot of tug for a mainstream comic book and is like, you better not tell anybody. Don't even say my name to any of our teammates. So she knows who he is. Um, I'll tell you, in this insane strife theory that is 100% wrong, but I keep wanting to be right anyway, when his yeah. clothes fell off, I was like, Oh, that's kind of, he telekinetically dropped his armor there good. is what's going good, on. Really good. There we go. And she knows that's his strife from their MLF days, I guess. We're conspiracy theorists officially now. <laughs> but I do think the, the book is telling us that it, I don't think it's Hydra Cap. It's going to be someone who is 
like who sort of sucks, I think. Not that Hydrocap doesn't suck, but that's a more serious choice. Well, this feels like it is going to be someone like Strife or someone like, I don't think this is right either, but someone like Bullseye or okay. someone like who is like, oh, they're a, a dick. <laughs> and that's why they're here. And that's what I, that was my takeaway from the way this issue played out. On the side of, yes, it's and hydrogen. Start, yeah, go ahead. We got to think also, like, it's going to be someone who I think does straddle the line between Avengers and X-Men a little bit. Yeah, it's the, the X-Men part is, I think, the thing working against Hydra Cap a little bit. But in this issue, there's a great scene with Modoc and Dr. Stasis hanging out and being like, oh, no, he has a nuclear weapon now. That's bad. Uh, where... Modoc refers to him as a soldier, which could just be like, he's a soldier, he's working for us, you know, he's in our army. But at the same time, Hydrocap is a soldier, so that could be a reference. The other thing, which I thought was a, a good point, is why in the world does Cap get a bionic arm here? Well, because you're going to have two Caps fighting at some point, you've got to be able to tell them apart. Ooh, so that's one good. has a bionic arm, it doesn't, doesn't, the other doesn't. So see, the last thing that I'll say about this before we move on is I like the move to take the nuclear weapon and put it below Empire State University, because as we mm-hmm. found out in Miss Marvel, The New Mutant, Orcus has a, an outreach program there. They are set up there. So I do wonder if we're going to see Miss Marvel in here going forward, potentially. Um, but at least, like, it feels like there's a coordination going on between the world, which you don't always necessarily get. Yeah. Uh, speaking of not much of a coordination uh, in the world, let's talk about Wolverine number 37, which starts off with Wolverine being like, Ugh, real bad status quo going on here with Orcus. Taking out the mutants were hated and feared again. I'm on the run. Well, anyway, enough of that. After the first three pages, let me go do my own thing. Yeah. Well, I, this feels like such a reset point for this book. Is that with the, the part you're talking about, he's like, uh, like it's like a, a Marlboro commercial or something at the beginning. But then he's back to his own tricks. This book is going, has no need to go as hard as it does. Wolverine goes back to explore Wolverine origins. We see a bunch of things. He's fighting Wendigo. Hulk's there. We're in Madripoor getting patched. They go to Japan for a while where a a Wolverine clone like is killed and all this like blood's coming out. I was like, why is this book doing all? I thought it was going to be like a measured exploration of Wolverine's history. And they do like half of it in this one issue. <laughs> and that isn't a criticism because I actually like the pace. This book is its own thing and continues to be so. It's some of the most fun Wolverine stuff uh, I feel like that I've read in a long time. I, I love it. I mean, I love what Benjamin Percy is doing with Wolverine. We're not talking about it out here, but the Wolverine versus Predator book that he wrote is also yeah. kicks ass. And yeah. one Jose Rip, I've said this a million times, I will read anything he draws. It is the most bloody, disgusting, insane, over-the-top stuff ever, but he absolutely crushes it. But just for the purposes of this podcast, it was a little disappointing to me that we didn't get Wolverine in this whole fall of X world. I want to see what his reaction is. I want to see how he's dealing with it. I like the promise of the first couple of pages. And then it was just back to continuing the beast clones, Logan clones thing from the previous issues, which I love mind you. And I also love this issue, but I want more integration there. I want to see like how Wolverine on the road deals with the current status quo of the X-Men. Well, don't you think we're going to get that? Don't you think this is a sort of uh, old man Logan situation where 
he's going to pop his claws on Orcus like when we need to, like because he, you know, he's going to wreck some shop yeah. over there, and I think we're building toward that. But it, it's like we've talked about for all of Krakoa. Wolverine has been off to the side for this entire event. I feel like. He's been on the moon. We never got to see any of that, what that meant, the Gene stuff. Gene, right before she dies, contacts Cyclops and then Wolverine. Wolverine's the late latter one, almost like saving your favorite for last. Are we going somewhere there? But I feel like we're just not there at all. This is Wolverine just like being wild, exploring the past. The next Mm -hmm. issue feels like a direct connection to the Chris Claremont uh, a flashback issue from like uncanny, like 180, 181, mm-hmm. something 181, like that. 181, I think. 181, yeah, where Wolverine, Black Widow, and Cap are fighting in, in the past. And like, I think we're going to get some more of that. This is an exploration of the past before we get to the point where Wolverine is shot like a bullet into Orca's headquarters. I, I think that's a fair point and not to keep coming back to the new status quo, but I could very much see whether it was purposeful or not. I know everything is purposeful, but I mean, I don't think they're like, we got to keep Wolverine off the board this entire time necessarily. But I do think that was a choice because it doesn't make a lot of sense for him to be like, I'm a team player who loves resurrection and everything that's going on here. Let's go. Yeah. Wolverine is always like, nope, I'm good. I got my beer. I'm going to take a boat and get off of this island as quickly as possible. So I think we might see a return, Westchester or not, to a more classic X-Men team with Wolverine, Cyclops, Jean Grey's sexy skeleton, Professor X in the lead, Magneto, we know, is being resurrected as well. So we might go back to like sort of that classic team that we haven't gotten in a really long time. Um, So that might potentially be fun. We'll see. Why don't we talk about these last two here? Dark X-Men number two. In this, we're dealing with the fallout of the last issue where Havoc got stabbed in the throat and... Uh, he doesn't get better this issue. He's a zombie havoc, mildly unexplained. Archangel got kidnapped by the bad guys in Orcus, and by the end, he is a golden-headed skeleton dude who is killing mutants at their directive. Poor Archangel. And meanwhile, we meet yeah. a multiversal goblin queen who is coming through with her own uh, Bamf goblin dog thing with her. There's... There's a lot going on here, Justin. A lot happening. This book is going in a million different directions at once. We also have the return of a LCD, the character, mm-hmm. the sort of like little girl robot. Uh, we get, let's not forget, we have like cyborg Wolverine that grows Albert, a second. Yeah. Albert, yeah, who grows a second head here. So like this book is pure chaos, but it is all working, I think. All of this is fun. There's a lot of character point of view here of like Gambit being like, Ugh, I this all these people are weird. I'm like, yep, that's literally this whole thing. Uh, so like, I this is one of my favorite reads in the current fall of X stuff because you just don't know what's going to happen at any moment. Yeah, I guess I I want to get a little bit more of the psychology of the characters, particularly Madeline Pryor, because I like the essential idea here that she has always felt shunted to the side by the X Men over her entire history, always second tier to Jean Grey or whoever else. And now that the X-Men are gone, she says, okay, my time to step up with this band of insane weirdos who are probably mostly dead at this point and go get X-Men and save everybody. I love that, but 
We're not getting enough of her. She feels very aloof from it, which I understand is the Goblin Queen M.O. I hope there's going to be some sort of challenge there when this multiverse version of the Goblin Queen, who is the exaggerated version of the Goblin Queen, comes face to face with our Madeline Pryor. I I, I don't know. Maybe they're holding off on the emotional catharsis there. Because like you were saying, to your point, the stuff that's working for me is Gabbit being like, what's going on? What is (laughs) here? Why? And Maggot also being the voice of reason being like, can we we go? Gabbit, can we please leave? This is bad. Maggot, the classic voice of reason in any <laughs> X-Men story, is just like, hey, guys, let's stop being so weird. Come back, my maggot, stomach maggots. Yeah, please, <laughs> eat of my stomach, my maggots. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I wish this was well, like but, a Gambit and Maggot title instead, just because of, this is too much for me at this point. Well, but I think well, I, the reason we don't get a much Madeline Pryor is she's the Professor X. She's the infernal Professor X here, and I think for now anyway, she has that early X-Men Professor X role of being the, like, headmaster uh, who's off to the side just saying, like, let's keep going, guys, she says to me, my X-Men here. Um, So I think right now it's a purposeful distance we have, and we're going to get closer as we get closer to this confrontation with the Goblin Queen. Can I add one thing before we move on? Professor Hex. Oh, that's good. Thank you. That's good stuff. Alpha Flight, number two, our final issue that we're going to talk about here. As revealed at the end of the last issue, Alpha Flight is not actually having a schism. They're all working together to try to save the mutants and get them off planet or get them to a safe haven or something like that. They have a bunch of folks north of the border in their storehouse that they're trying to figure out, working with Lalandra of the Shi'ar. Can they get them to their planet? And Lalandra, Lalandra, excuse me, in this issue is like... Yeah, we're kind of refugees ourselves, but safer than Earth and Canada. So why don't you send them up here when you can? Meanwhile, south of the border, there in America, where we live, there is another uh, ex Alpha Flight member who is being chased down, and the various members of Alpha Flight are grappling with how do we deal with this? How do we save him? Given everything that's going on, um, I. I, similar to the way we were talking about Dark X-Men, I felt like there was a lot going on in the first issue of this. There's still a lot going on here, but I like this idea more and more every issue. I, I think the yeah. idea of like a border crisis focused around Alpha Flight and focused around the X-Men side of the world is very interesting. And there's a lot of different factions and things they need to deal with. So there is a lot of standing around and talking and strategizing that goes on in this issue, but it really did drive home this idea of, oh my God, we are stuck in the worst political and human rights situation we have ever been in. What do we do? There is no right move at this point. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, this is sort of the most square over the plate classic X-Men book right now where they're like, we got to do something. And then they do a little bit of stuff, but it is a lot of like consternation about what can be done like the the talk with the um the lalandra but i actually think it's empress zandra who's different okay i wanted it to be lalandra and i was like oh right a bunch of political things happened in another (laughs) part of the marvel universe up there and now it's all messed up so like because i want lalandra i want professor x now that he's an island bachelor Mm-hmm. So go maybe look up Lalandra. Yeah. You know what you should do? Bring a bunch of Shi'ar princesses down to Krakoa and he could do a whole like Temptation Island type thing. 
Yeah, exactly. Ex-Bachelor in Paradise. <laughs> uh, can I throw out one theory at you? Yes. So Nemesis, this character who is back seemingly from the dead on Alpha Flight, there's a weird conversation here that Snowbird and Nemesis have where Nemesis is yeah. talking about, I'm really like at my wit's end in terms of using the sword to teleport everybody. I'm losing a lot of energy. I don't know what to do. And Snowbird says, oh, you should talk to Guardian. And Nemesis says, I'm not ready to have that conversation yet. My theory is that this is not the Nemesis who was previously Nemesis. This is actually Heather McDonald, uh, Guardian's Same. wife. You were thinking that as well? Yeah, and it, because it's it's such a strange and also like to put this character at such a forefront, emotional forefront. I was like, that's never happened before. Nemesis <laughs> has always been like a cool image in the back of the mm-hmm. action shot. So like, I think that's a hundred percent what's happening. It's and that's the kind of intrigue that I feel like a classic X Men. This feels very Claremont, Chris Claremont, not to keep yeah, saying invoking that name here, but it feels like that type of X Men storytelling where there are little pieces being placed on the table, but in general, it is a lot of like. Monologizing about like what's going on in their lives mm-hmm. right now. I think that's a really good call though, because that is very Chris Claremont of standing around and talking about ah, what does this mean? Tearing you know yeah. our hair out and rending our clothes. So I I was reading this being like from a action perspective, wanting a little bit more, but from like I think you're nailing it in terms of feeling like a classic X Men book versus Dark X Men, which is Havoc being like I'm a happy zombie. Yeah, that's Cuckoo Bananas, uh, X-Men. Yes. But I also think, like, that's why I like this week, to bring it all back, is, like, this does feel like it is just covering the board with all sorts of little uh, different versions and iterations of the X-Men canon. Some eras are weird. Uh, Some eras are very over the plate. And I I think that's what I like about this event is this week, too, is is we're always touching this. Totally different. Before we wrap up here, why don't we talk about what's next in the Fall of X reading order, or as my son likes to say, here's what's next on Fall of X. So we got a couple of issues coming out next week. This is still very weird to me, particularly because they don't label it as such, but Invincible Iron Man number 10, a essential issue to read in Fall of X, as we're getting the wedding of Tony Stark and Emma Frost in this issue. There's a couple of wedding Great. bonuses, apparently. Can't wait. Very fun. Very weird. Very still fun. fun. I'll be sipping champagne as I read that. Oh, very nice. Jean Grey. I was about to say Jean Gras. <laughs> Jean John Gray. Very yeah. alpha flight. Exactly. Jean Gray, number two. Uh, I'm very excited about this one as well. I was really bowled over by the first issue, delving into the history, sort of like giving these dark what ifs in continuity of Jean Gray. So I, I hope it keeps it up. That should be cool. Miss Marvel, the new mutant, number two. This is picking up on, uh, yeah, just where Miss Marvel is left in a bad situation where Orcus knows she's at Empire State University. Very curious to see if it ties into Uncanny Avengers at all. And last but not least, Realm of X number two, and I'll give a little mm. pluggy-boo here to our Thank interview to with Torin Gronbach. We talked to her at Baltimore Comic-Con that's up in the Comic Book Club feed and had a great chat with her about the inspiration behind yeah. Realm of X and the team and the weird mix of the team there. So given all that information we talked to her about, I'm more excited to read the second issue here and read it through that filter. That book is another one of my favorites. It feels like that has such a strong premise. It is so far away from the rest of the event. Uh, Typhoid Mary uh, is an indicator of that, but is very fun, unique, and a story that I'm buying into. 
All right. If you would like to support this podcast and all the podcasts we do, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come back out. We'd love to chat with you about Fall of X. Apple, Android, Spotify, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at comic book live on Twitter slash X, comic book club live on TikTok and Instagram, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, fall into the X. 